cellulitis. So um, she had a cut in her leg uh, some time ago, and so it's been really bothering her. And uh, they went to the doctor and got some antibiotics, but she's still um, uh, she's still not well, although she's recovering. So James is going to be taking her to the doctor this week for a second opinion, where we can just pray for him and also. Um, yeah, we can pray uh, also for Eden, who is also sick, and she is, um, yeah, so she's been, she's recovering, but still pretty sick, and so her and Sarah are back home, as Steve told me, and so let's pray for Eden, um, and I'm sure that there are others, other, uh, many other people uh, in our lives that are uh, in prayer, and so we'll just be lifting them up in general. So let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, for your sovereign goodness that you watch over us in our sickness and in our health. Um, in uh, every season, Father God, you are there with us, uh, with your people. And so uh, we acknowledge that, and we ask, Lord, that you would work uh, toward health in uh, the lives of our uh, in your of your covenant people um, in Eden and also in J in uh, James's mother. We pray for a speedy recovery. We pray for um, wise application of medicine and accurate analysis of what's uh, what's wrong. And we pray for. Uh, just plenty of rest, um, and we uh, thank you for James. We thank you that he is a part of our um, of our church, and we uh, lift him up, Father God, as a brother that has uh, many burdens um, uh, when it comes to his family and and uh, many hopes. And so we pray that you might. Um, bless him in all those hopes and that you might uh, alleviate some of those burdens um, and in those things Father God we know uh, that uh, that he is faithful and so bless him um, and we pray also for Eden we pray for her uh, speedy recovery we pray Father God that uh, that she might not suffer too much but that uh, she might um, find comfort in, uh, in the recovery, also comfort in, in uh, receiving plenty of care and love from Sarah and from Steve and, and from uh, uh, Deborah and Esther as well. And so we pray just uh, for her to recover quickly. We pray um, for her recovery also, um, uh, for the peace of mind of, of the family. And, and Lord, we pray for full recovery uh, very soon. And Lord, we know that there are many uh, that, are, um, that are in need uh, in our congregation, uh, that we have even some that have shared 
of, uh, of, a mem of uh, someone in their family that is suffering from addiction. And, and so we pray for that individual. We pray for uh, the power of the spirit, uh, of power of your spirit to intervene and to do a miraculous work of recovery. We pray, um, we pray Father God, that you might uh, do a, uh, a great circumstantial work of people intervening in that person's life to bring them out of that uh, cycle of uh, dependency and that cycle of addiction and that cycle of suffering. And so um, work on uh, that person and on that family. Um, and Lord, we pray that you might uh, lift us up in our need today, this afternoon, that we might be ready to receive your word and that your word might come into our hearts um, and not uh, to tumble not to have the words tumble harmlessly aside, but that they might uh, penetrate deep and that they might bring about uh, an increase of faith and an increase of obedience. And this to your glory and in Christ's name we pray, amen. I'm uh, kind of on the verge of like, uh, like some kind of illness of my own. <laughs> so uh, like, um, just like a, body flu kind of thing, uh, so if, um, uh, if people can help by maybe reading, uh, because we have a long passage in Judges 6, let's have like three people come up right up here, uh, at least two people, but preferably three or even four that can come up to the front here, and uh, they're going to take turns reading, maybe two verses a piece, um, going through the entire book of Judge, uh, chapter of Chapter 6 of Judges. So if you're confident in your voice, uh, would like to volunteer, just please come up right here, right here because we only have like uh, the mics up here. So who, who can do that for me, for us? There we go. Thank you, Armin. Thank you, Alan. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right. So uh, you guys can take turns, maybe reading two verses apiece, and we'll run through. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, chapter six. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whoever, for whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the I, I, I can't pronounce <laughs> Amalekites uh, and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no substance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up uh, with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels would not be counted so that they lay waste in the land that they came in. 
uh, and Israel brought very low, uh, was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, <clears throat> and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, and from the, land, and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites and whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terab terabinth at Ophrah, <laughs> which belonged to Joash, the Abirzite. While this son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an affilet of flour. Uh, the meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the tabernacle and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and unleavened cakes and put them in his, on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out from the tip of the staff uh, that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord uh, God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands at uh, Oprah, <laughs> which belongs to the Abyssinians. <laughs> that night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, ba Baal that your father has, and cut down the Ash Asherah, that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of a stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the ash Asherah that he cut down. <coughs> so Gideon took ten men of his servants, 
and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to the one, <coughs> they said to one another, "Who has done this thing?" And after they had searched and inquired, they said, "Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing." So the men of the town said to Joash, "Bring out your son, that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal, and cut down the Asherah beside it." But Joash, Joash said to all who stood against him, "Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him?" Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar had been, has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubal, that is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizrites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet him. Okay. Uh, thank you for that reading. I know there's some left. We'll just save that for the end. Thank you very much for the readings. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Um, if you notice there at the very end of verse 34, uh, the very end of that reading and in verse 34, it says, but the spirit of the Lord um, clothed Gideon, and then he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizarites were called out to follow him. And um, uh, I want to I hang our thoughts on three main ideas. One is God's calling. Okay, something that we can learn about God's calling for 2019. Um, and I think the thing we can learn from Gideon is, is really a very important lesson. You notice something about Gideon, which is that, uh, of course, that uh, in verse 34, that the spirit of the Lord clothed him. I think that that's important. That's more important than what we learn in terms of God's calling of Gideon. It's more important than these other things about Gideon that we might think would disqualify him from God's work, from God's calling, from being spiritually productive, um, so on and so forth. Okay? So what you see, one, is his small origins. Right? You look at his very, very small origins, that, that uh, he was called by God, and what do you see him doing? Right? He's hiding, you know? Mighty, mighty man, mighty uh, warrior, man of great valor, right, is how he's described by the angel of the Lord. But he's hiding, right, in a, in a wine press. Um, and he's, and he's, flipping, uh, he's flipping grain uh, to separate the wheat and the chaff, or he's crushing it, um, one or the other, or maybe both, there in a hole in the ground, right? Because he's hiding from these people. And he's startled by this, by this command from the Lord that he should be the one to go. And what's his excuse? What does he say? 
yeah, he's, I'm the least in my family. And, and it's not like my family's that great. They're the least in the clan. It's not like that clan is great. That clan's like the least in the tribe, right? Right, so we're the least of the, I'm the least of the least. Um, and so he had these very small origins that he was coming from, um, both as a nation being oppressed by a larger, more powerful one, the, the Midianites, uh, among others. Um, it says the Amalekites and then the people of the east are probably the Ishmaelites, right? And so you had the, that coalition of people against a, a people that were greatly reduced. They were called small, in fact, I think in this passage, right? That, that, that all these things happened to them and that they were being reduced and reduced and reduced until they were small. And so we see the humble origins of this man and, and like he's saying, who would follow me if I call, you know, if I said, hey, come follow me, you know, who would actually do it? Was this, was his obvious question. Um, and so we had that. We also saw something in his um, understanding of the world and maybe in his temperament too, some combination, his life experiences, whatever, but he was a very fearful man. I don't know how many of you can raise your hand and say, I've got a lot of fears in 2019, for 2019. A lot of fears in my heart. A lot of fears I have about my life. And if that's you, then that's, then, then Gideon is a story for you. Because he was a man that was filled with a lot of fears. A lot of them. And you see this story just littered with his reaction uh, that demonstrates just how, um, how uh, cautious he was or how, how, mu how much uh, he kind of moved along with great you know, trepidation. He wasn't a bold person, right? He was filled with this, uh, this fear. And so there are a lot of examples. You see, of course, in the initial reaction here, in the calling by God, but also you see that this, that he would um, go and uh, even when he was called to take down the altar that was uh, uh, his father's or at least part of his father's and then part of the town's and, and that he went in and he went in at night, right? And so you read that, that he came in at night and, and the, uh, that he took 10 men with him and uh, he does, it's not like he's going in the middle of the day striding over, taking a sledgehammer and going, ah, and just knocking the bale of altar, the, the bale of, uh, the altar bale, or, or moving over and just tape, drawing out his sword and, and whacking down the pole of Asherah in broad daylight. He's doing it under the cover of night, right? Um, and so God, I guess God didn't call him to be heroic, but to be obedient, and so I don't know. But it, it seems like, um, you know, that that's another demonstration of his timidity and how he's ruled by fear even as he's being obedient to God. And so he does this, and then he comes out, and what happens? You see uh, that the townspeople come, and this is another interesting thing, right? I don't know if you guys noticed it, but the townspeople come out, uh, and, and you would think, okay, now it's daytime, and it's time to face the music. And that, 
you know, Joshua or uh, Gideon would come out, you know, like it's high noon, you know, and he just comes out and he's ready to face face the townsfolk. And they come out to the house and, you know, they got that, you know, Joash, where's your son? You know, we're out, you know, we're going to hang him. We're going to get him. And then and you would think that it wouldn't be Joash out there, but it would be Gideon. But you, instead what you find is his father out there, and you think immediately, where's Gideon? And he's probably hiding, you know? <laughs> he's almost certainly hiding inside the house or maybe at the, his old hideout, the wine press, right? And, and he's just, you know, kind of there, and you look at, Dad, is it clear? You know? And so this is just the way that he operates. And, and uh, this is a, a big part of who he is. And I want you to know that if you, if you have great sympathy for Gideon, because you see a lot of yourself in him, I want you to know and be encouraged by this story because God's not going to abandon him. God's not going to kick him to the curb, um, but he is going to um, bring him along and he is going to work on him in, in his faith. And so uh, you see these two things and maybe a, a, a third, if indeed it's his father who is, and it's his altar, right? He is some town uh, leader that this altar is the town's or the town uses it. Uh, it's ascribed to him as well. And so he might be a leader in this town. That it's his altar. Um, and, and it appears that, you know, he is in a town and even in a family that are idolaters, right? That he's not some shining uh, exemption from the sin and the evil that's being described in the very first verses that have gripped the land. No, he's part of that, right? His family's a part of that. And that contributes to this kind of uh, unfavorable origin story for Gideon, right? All these things are stacked up against him. And yet God calls Gideon and not somebody else when he wants something done. And what I'm saying is that, that you might think that you've got a lot of things stacked up against you. I don't have a lot of talent. I don't have a lot of time. I don't have a lot of money. Have, it doesn't appear that I have many opportunities to, be, to do something great for the Lord. That, that God, you know, it just seems like there's nothing that God is doing in my life. 2019 is going to be the same as 2018. And what I'm saying is Gideon's story is a fill-in for, for those kind of people, for people like us. Um, where it seems that we have small origins and very limited um, situations and a lot of deficiencies and disadvantages. And that was Gideon, but God chose Gideon. God called Gideon a person like him. And God can call a person like you to do amazing things in your life and in the lives of those around you and in the life of God's kingdom, and in the life of the church, okay? So that's the first thing, but to complete that idea, to go back to uh, what made him different was, I think, among a few things, this. Verse 34, the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, right? And we can make a lot of comments about this. This can go to a lot of directions, when we talk about the spirit of the Lord. But 
um, that he was clothed with the Spirit of the Lord, I want to look at just one passage and to make a simple point from this. Um, you know, in Luke chapter 1, we looked at this passage too. At the very beginning of this series, you know, in 2019, uh, that series, uh, which it will conclude this Sunday, um, we see uh, when, Elizabeth, when Mary visits Elizabeth, right? Um, but you remember in verse 41 of Luke 1, it says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, you know, that Mary had visited Elizabeth, uh, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit, right? And then verse 43, she says, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Right? And so I don't know if you missed that. Like, well, what's the significance of that? Well, you guys know, in custom, very similar to that custom, that you, like, uh, that when you come, you, you, it's not like uh, you expect the lesser person to have everybody come to him or to her, but that you as the uh, quote-unquote lesser person goes to them. Um, and so, like, um, here in this situation, in this culture, it wouldn't be Elizabeth being visited by Mary. I mean, it would be under normal circumstances because Elizabeth is older, right? And Mary the younger. And so, but I mean, it's all flipped on its head here. She says, how is it that you would visit me? Is what Elizabeth is saying to Mary. Right? Why would she say that? And being filled by the Holy Spirit. Because she knows that by the work of the Holy Spirit, normal rules don't apply. That's what I want to focus on here. That the normal rules don't apply when you're talking about that situation. Because because through the Spirit of God, by being filled by the Spirit, she's able to see something. And she's able to see how God is working in a way that's counteractive to that. That is countermanding that, uh, uh, that normal order of things. And what I'm saying here is that even for Gideon, a man who is limited in all these ways, but the normal order doesn't apply to Gideon. Because he is clothed with the Holy Spirit even as it didn't apply with Elizabeth and Mary in that social, you know, etiquette, that social protocol. In the same way that the normal order of things don't apply when it comes to the growth of that church from 12 disciples into churches all over the world. In the same way that the normal order doesn't apply to our church and with our limitations, and that we can see God do something special and powerful and fresh if we're clothed with the Spirit. The normal rules don't apply. Okay? Um, so that's my first uh, thing that I want to say under God's call. Um, and then the second is God's patience. 
God's patience, which is amazing here, right? Uh, it, we, don't, we can't track verse by verse, but uh, you see here in... You see here throughout that Gideon is getting all the word of calling, of affirmation, of encouragement, of confirmation, um, of signs and miracles even that he would need, right? But through it all, what you notice is that is God's patience in dealing with Gideon, and that's what I want you to understand. If the first is God's call, the second is God's patience with, with Gideon. Um, so you see, God sending at, at first, not the angel of the Lord, but God, was, God sent a prophet. And this prophet was explaining to everyone, including Gideon, why people were suffering the way they were. And it wasn't uh, simply because God didn't care about them, but it was... Uh, specifically because, uh, uh, because God had allowed the people, these, these uh, uh, Midianites, to come in and afflict them and oppress them because of their own sin. Verse 10, and I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites, that is to worship them, in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. You have not obeyed my voice. And that's why he says in verse 9, I, Though I delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians and the hands of those who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their lands, and yet I gave you this warning as well. Right? And a warning that was also reiterated, um, that was, uh, you know, that this might even be a reiteration of uh, Deuteronomy 28, where it's the exact same thing. If you do not obey me, if you fall into syncretism or idolatry, you fall into the God and start worshiping the gods of others, and you start falling into their patterns, and you start following their beliefs, then this is going to happen. And it's kind of laid out really clearly in um, Deuteronomy chapter 28. And so he's got that, he's got this, he's also got a number of other ways in which God is, has worked in his life. The angel of the Lord that comes and says, the Lord is with you, O man of valor. How would you like that? An angel of the Lord coming to you and saying this thing, um, mighty man of valor. <clears throat> and we see not only this, but the great promise in that verse. The Lord is with you. This is a promise from God. So he's got the explanation of what's going on. Um, you know, with the oppressors. He's got the, the backdrop of Deuteronomy 28 as the warning and the promise. And then he's got an explicit promise regarding him that the Lord is with you. I'm with you. And I've got a specific thing for you to do, right? And so he's got all these things. Um, and how does he respond? He says in verse 13, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our, that our fathers recounted to us? He's just explained all this, right? Through the prophet, right? He's just encouraged him through the angel of the Lord. And he's got that backdrop of Deuteronomy 28. And still, this man is very slow. This man is very, 
uh, he's not he's not receiving this, these things by faith. He's not just eating them up and then his faith growing and then adding more encouragement and then he's growing and acting according to that faith. That's not what's happening. You see him uh, throwing up a lot of resistance coming from his fear, throwing up a lot of resistance coming from his doubt. He's filled with self-doubt. He's filled with uh, fear. And so we see him saying these things, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. And then the Lord gives him yet another word of encouragement. He turns to him in verse 14, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? You know, and then he gives excuses about his clan and his tribe and his house. And then again in verse 16, a third encouragement now, straight from the Lord. A third, and the Lord says, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Right? You're going to do it. Like, uh, you know, like Ehud, maybe. One man, just right? Right into that, you know, flesh. Um, and uh, to destroy Eglon in one blow. And the Moabites could be like that. Could be a different way, but you're, you're the one. You're the critical person here. And then he said to him, but if I have found favor in your eyes, what do you mean if? <laughs> right? Gideon, what are you talking about? But Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, you just want to slap him and say, what, you've just, the angel of the Lord just talked to you three times straight. Right? And the first... Um, you know, excuse that you threw up, it was already explained by a fourth prophet of the Lord and Bible verses, you know? Uh, and so you've got these five different sources that of encouragement and of a... Um, and so he says, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me and do not depart from here until, you, until you've given it. And so... And so he goes out and he prepares a meal. Now, before we get too, too hard on him, you know, I'm leading the charge on being hard on him, but, but hold the reins back a little bit. Because what we see is that he goes and he uh, goes to the house and prepares a young goat with unleavened cakes from an ephah. That's about six gallons, six gallons of flour. Now, is he living in good times? No. People are dying. The, the population is shrinking. The grazing land for their, uh, what few animals they have is diminishing because they've stripped the land. There's no, uh, you know, there's no process of, of letting the land just kind of heal by itself, farming, and then heal, because, because they keep burning the crops, because they keep robbing them and destroying the seed for the next harvest until finally they've got just a little seed left the land doesn't get to rest. It's always being burned. It's always being, you know, being so they got to replant, and then and then the animals are they're bringing all these animals um, to graze on that land, stripping it of even its roots, and it's just disastrous. The people aren't being reduced. Famine is in the land, 
okay? But what's happened is that this man also has faith. His faith might be slow. His faith might be like this sputtering, slow, teetering, tottering faith. But it's, but it's real. And I think this meal kind of displays that a little bit, evidences that. That he takes six gallons of flour, let me put it that way, uh, right about 22 liters, um, and then he, he makes, you know, this meal, and he takes a, you know, baby goat, and he slaughters it, and he prepares it, and he brings it, and makes soup, and then he brings this all out, and then he's instructed to pour the soup onto this meal, the bread and the, and the meat, and he does, and then this angel of the Lord, which I think is a Christophany, which means that, that it's, I think it's Christ himself in the Old Testament. These are certain examples of the angel of the Lord that and the people react to him differently than others. And that, you know, they bow to him, they worship him. Things that, that other angels in other situations say, no, don't worship me, I'm a created being. I worship the Lord. But, here, but the, the angel of the Lord accepts that. Why? Because I think he's Christ. And so, so um, you know, the angel of the Lord, you know, taps the, taps the meal and then it's on fire. It totally reminds you of Elijah, right, at Mount Carmel, where he's got the, the, the animal and he you know, slices them all up, puts them on a big altar, and then what does he do? Pours a bunch of water. So you've got to dig a ditch around because, and then uh, run off because there's so much water that's on there. And it's the same idea. It's like just soak it, you know, and just magnify the, um, the, the sign, you know, that there would be fire on this soaked, on this soaked uh, meat and bread, you know, just soggy meat and bread, you know, the stew that just turns on fire by the touch of the stick, you know. The fire from heaven comes down on this drenched uh, wood and meat, right? But it just go, comes off fire. So it, it's a magnifying of the sign, a clarification, um, and, em and emphasizing that this is a clear sign to you, Gideon, that you have found fa favor in my eyes and that you are indeed called to do this thing. And I'm encouraging you to do it. And that's what happens. Gideon, of course, perceives this, and he knows that he has, he has seen the Lord face to face, right? And, um, uh, and he's filled with fear, right? <laughs> he's filled with fear again. And yet, and yet uh, this time, though, uh, it's not just fear, but he has found peace, right? God gives a declaration of peace. Someone once said, nothing amazing about... Uh, there's nothing amazing about grace unless there is, uh, well, there's nothing amazing about grace when there is nothing fearful about holiness. But when there is something fearful about holiness and there's something wonderful about grace. And I think that here's a situation where he sees the angel of the Lord Christ himself and he becomes totally aware of his own sin to a degree that just fills him with utter terror because he knows that he deserves to be destroyed because of the sin that is in him. But he sees the peace, the word of peace 
that this pre-incarnate Christ gives to him. Um, And this word of peace is given. And uh, what I want to say here is, you know, like Yami, right? She broke her she broke her ankle a while back at one of our activities, right? One of our CM activities. Uh, why do you think we have all our kids sign the <laughs> liability form? <laughs> and and so and so uh, she got she got her you know her ankle hurt, and it was just really like a, it was pretty pretty severe, right? It wasn't just a simple uh, break, but. And so she had, and she could hardly uh, move about at all. But what happened? She got the cast on there, right? And then she got the cast, and she kept it on. And then at some point, um, when it healed enough, the cast was still on there, and she was walking around. Today, this Sunday, she was walking around, but she still had to have the cast. But last Sunday, I remember, you know, she had the cast on there, and she was kind of limping around. They're gonna, she's going to have it for maybe another week or two. And the thing is that she can't walk without that cast on, you know, that she could really harm herself, that she would just wobble and fall over to the side or to the other side without that cast. What I'm saying is that God's patience is like that, that God's patience is like that, that it's like the cast that we need or else we'd fall over. To keep us. Yes, our faith is wobbly. You know, teeter-tottering. Sometimes very slow and ponderous. You know, like Yami walking around. You know, she she wasn't her agile self, her fast self. She had to kind of... And that's like you and me in our faith. But God's, God's patience is like that cast that helps us. Right? That's always there. And you never once see God, you know, just being exasperated. God's like, that's enough. <laughs> My favor is lifted off you and it shall go to another. You know, it's not like that, but he's patient. Over and over again is what I'm trying to help you to see here. And to help you to see that that's God being the cast that you need in your life when your faith is teeter-tottering, when your faith is, you know, seems so weak, when you're filled with fear and doubt, and it seems like you're asking for an unreasonable amount of assurance, that God is patient with us, that God will provide that assurance for you as you need it, as he did with Gideon. And you got to ask yourself, like, how many times does God have to say, I will deliver my people through you for it to be true. Yeah, once, right, once. Was Gideon obligated to obey the word after hearing it just once? Yes, absolutely. God could have just told him once. And Gideon would have been obligated to obey through that one command. But that's not what you see here. It's God's patience, God's mercy, God working in Gideon to bring him to this place um, uh, from this weaker faith to this stronger faith. And from a man filled with fear to a man 
uh, that's filled with action. And so that's the, uh, God's patience. And finally, we see God's sign. God's sign. Um, verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, um, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on the ground there was dew. So, God's sign. Look, uh, a lot of us are aware of this story, this part of Gideon's story. Maybe this might be the most popular one, uh, the most well-known one. But one thing for sure that you need to know, that this story, this part of the story, is not about uh, a method of discerning God's will. You know, I'm sure you've tried it before, to, to mix results maybe. Right? Like you, what do you do? You go walk around and you, should I date that guy or not? You know, and then you're, like, well, if, if this weird thing happens to me, then, then I will, you know? Um, and, and so you, you, you play these, like, kind of, kind of these crazy mind, mind games about something unusual happening to you as being a sign. And then you're, but you're attributing it to this, right? Um, the problem is that that's not even what this passage is about. If you look carefully, you see that uh, does Gideon not know what he's supposed to do? <laughs> no. By this, by this point, it's, you're, you're mad at Gideon because he knows exactly what he's supposed to do. The problem is that he needs yet another sign, right? as if the other one wasn't spectacular enough. Jesus himself lighting a fire for your meal. <laughs> you know, well, it's like, no, that's not good enough, Jesus. right? And so this is ridiculous, but... But Gideon is asking for another sign here, right? And so the fleece, this fleece situation was not a method for discerning God's will, but um, uh, a kind of this ridiculous uh, final test for confirming God's will, which he already knew. That's what it was. Uh, as you have said, stated twice there, Israel by my hand, as you have said, and also in ver the very end of that verse, 37. Uh, of, uh, sorry, the very end of verse 36, uh, and then again in verse 37. Um, he knows what God has said. He knows God's will, right? That's not the, at issue here. Um, he just doesn't, he didn't believe the test. And then when, it, when, it, when he uh, received this other test, this other sign, and then he saw the results. He didn't believe the first results either, right? 
And he thought, well, maybe it's a super absorbent cloth, right? And uh, all the moisture just suddenly came in. That's weird. God's trying to trick me, right? And then, okay, then let's flip it around, right? And so uh, we know the story. Um, and, of course, the issue is that he knew what he was supposed to do. Um, it's not even like he doesn't believe God's promise at some point. It's that he's looking to get out of it somehow. I think that's what it is. At the end of the day, he's just looking to get out of God's word, out of God's will. Um, but, you know, there's this encouragement here that it's possible to be both fearful and faithful. You know, if you are here last week, you know, in the hall of faith is Gideon. You know, uh, along with uh, Barak, right? Not exactly two stellar examples of faith. If, we, if you ever read the rest of Gideon's story, he, his story doesn't even end well, right? It, it kind of takes a quick U-turn and it ends kind of badly. But we see that, uh, we see and we're encouraged by this fact that it's possible to have fear but also to have faith and for them to, uh, to be a man that's both fearful and faithful, right? Uh, and there's this hymn whose title is uh, We Rest on Thee, Our Shield and Our Defender, which in one line, the third stanza goes, we go in faith, our own great weakness feeling and needing more each day thy grace to know, right? And it's a person that is moving forward, recognizing, oh man, I'm a person filled with a lot of fear. Lord, help me to have more faith, to work by faith. Give me the grace today to live by my faith and not by my fears. Right. Um, and so this third lesson, the sign of the fleece, is that, you know, knowing God's word um, and looking to it for guidance, and actually obeying it. You know, that's the key. It's not like looking for more signs of confirmation. Right? It's not like looking for some way to get out of God's word, but the fact that you already know God's word for most parts of your life. It's a matter of you obeying it. And you, and you see that clearly, I think, through this ridiculous escapade of Gideon asking for more and more signs. You know, asking for, like, like I don't really know, God, what you want from me, right? And he's just, so it, it becomes this ridiculous thing. And so I think the third point here is that, that God's word is clear and that we're called to obey it. And that is plainly the marching orders for 2019. Right? That what we know, that we obey it. And that we don't try to you know, fend off God um, by asking for God's will for things that, we, that, are, um, uh, that are less clear. And that we focus on those things rather than the things that are clear. Okay? So I think these are three lessons for us to take into 2019 and, um, uh, and to live in that way like Gideon. Uh, that is to live 
learned from his life, from Gideon's life. And so um, we're going to have conclude uh, this, this service and also this series in 2019 with communion. I'm going to ask that um, Richard and Steve, if they could pass around the communion elements. Of course, uh, these elements are for Christians. Uh, for all who live in rebellion against God and live in unbelief, this holy food and drink will only bring further condemnation. But, uh, and if you do not yet confess Jesus Christ, but seek to live under his gracious reign, we, we ask for you to abstain. Uh, nevertheless, for those of you who have confessed your sins and affirmed your faith in Christ, then the promise is sure that whoever eats of Christ's body and drinks of Christ's blood has eternal life and will not come into condemnation. So you're invited to the sacred meal, uh, not because you're worthy in yourself, but because you are, of course, clothed in Christ's perfect righteousness. And so don't allow the weakness of your faith. You have faith like Gideon or your failures in the Christian life this past week to keep you from this table. For it was given to us because of our weakness and because of our failures in order to increase our faith by the feeding um, with the body and blood of Christ Jesus himself. So as the word has promised us God's favor, so also... Our Heavenly Father has added this confirmation of his unchangeable promise. So come, believing sinners, for the table is ready. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's bow our heads as we consecrate these elements. Almighty and everlasting God, who by the blood of your only begotten Son has secured for us a new and living way into the Holy of Holies. Cleanse our minds and hearts by your word and spirit that we, your redeemed people, drawing close to you through these holy mysteries, may enjoy fellowship with the Holy Trinity through the body and blood of Christ our Savior. Our ascended Savior does not live in temples made by hands, but is in heaven where he continues to intercede on our behalf. And through this mystery, by your word and spirit, these common elements are now set apart from ordinary use. And while remaining bread and wine, these sacred elements nevertheless become so united to the reality they signify that we do not doubt but joyfully believe that we receive in this meal nothing less than the crucified body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so let us now go to our heavenly table and receive the gift from you for our souls. <laughs> 